0: The Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association
1: with EY, building a better working world.
0: Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from The Irish Times. My guests this week are newly appointed IDA Chief Executive Michael Lone and Fergal Freyna, an assurance partner and head of FDI at EY Ireland. In terms of foreign direct investment, Ireland has punched well above its weight for years, particularly in securing a stream of projects and jobs from big US multinationals. A new report out this week from EY sought the views of FDI companies here on Ireland as a location for new investment. EY's Fergal de Freyne will take me through the main challenges and opportunities identified in that survey. IDA Chief Executive Michael Lone, meanwhile, is at the coalface when it comes to securing new FDI projects for the country. He tells me how the availability of housing, a secure energy supply and a pipeline of new talent are the key challenges in attracting investment here. He also believes there could be more job cuts to come in the tech sector. But in the round, he's positive on the outlook for the Irish economy and our ability to tap into emerging sectors across a range of industries. I began by asking Fergal de Freyne
2: to outline the key findings from the EY report. So, Our report shows that Ireland really punched above its weight in 2022 when it came to inbound investment. In contrast to Europe, and our survey covers 44 European countries, the total increase in the number of projects across those countries was 1%. And I suppose when you consider the headwinds in the macro environment with the war in Ukraine, the rising interest rate environment, inflation, questions over security of energy supply, that performance is perhaps to be expected but in contrast ireland saw an increase of 21% in the number of projects both greenfield and expansion announced during 2022 so really punched above its weight in terms of performance mm. in attracting inbound investment I think as well when we look at the sectors where those investments were made they're in knowledge led sectors like technology and it uh, software medical device, pharmaceuticals, and global business services. So again, pointing to relatively strong performance on the part of Ireland. And then I think when we look forward, the survey results are telling us that investors who are already here have firm plans to continue that investment through further expansion over the next 12 months. I think another point I'd make about the profile of investment that we saw in 2022 was the fact that it was very evenly distributed across the country. So half the investment was into Dublin, but half into the regions. And again, I think that's very aligned with what public policy and the activities of IDA Ireland and so on are are really trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, sure. Now, the 21% increase, it's great, obviously, uh, sounds really good. I'm just wondering whether those projects were all sort of in train, if you like, in the pipe as it were, before the war in Ukraine and before the spike in energy prices and before geopolitical tensions east-west and, and so forth? Or, or where are these just projects that were announced last year, that were put in place last year for the first time?
2: Yeah, I suppose we don't ask our respondents to tell us exactly when they initiated the business review and making the business case for the projects. And obviously over the last number of years, we've seen considerable shocks with the pandemic in 2020-21. So there's been quite a bit of variability, I would say, across Europe and indeed in Ireland in terms of performance. I think there was an expectation at the European level that the pent-up demand for investment after the pandemic would manifest more clearly in 2022. That didn't really happen. If we look at the top three countries across Europe, uh, France, the UK and Germany, they had a very kind of modest performance, I would say, in terms of new projects, and obviously, you know, the projects that are announced are on foot of fairly extensive and lengthy due diligence investigations as well. So anyone coming to make an investment here is starting the analysis uh, at an early stage. But to, I, I think to answer your question, I think some of these investments will have been in the hopper or the pipeline for some time previous. But we don't see in the results of our sentiment survey with investors any sign that that's going to slow down uh, after the events of 2022. Because our, our survey is really intended to be both a account, if you like, of the project numbers, but also to take the sentiment of investors to understand what's front of mind for them and what their future intentions are.
0: Now, you mentioned 44 countries uh, were part of this survey. In an Irish context,
2: how many companies were surveyed? Uh, so we survey 150 investors, Um distributed across the yeah. sectors that are invested here. We also look at companies and investors who are both here as well as those who don't have uh, established positions here mm-hmm. um, in order to get a fairly good sense of what their considerations are, what's front of mind for them.
0: So it's essentially the 71% of um, FDI established here who have plans to increase their investment 71% of 150 A cohort of 150 companies.
2: Yes, so for those in the survey who were already here, exactly right, yes. Right,
0: and um, just in terms of the work you've done in this, uh, in some of these newer sectors that we're focusing on, like uh, renewables, clean tech and so forth, have you any sense of investment plans into Ireland for those sectors?
2: Yeah, it's interesting when we look at the uh, sectors where the respondents believe that future investment will be generated... Um, technology, software, and IT are clearly out, out front. It's interesting from a sectoral point of view that clean tech and renewables are considered to be, from a future perspective, the, the second biggest driver. Now, we haven't really seen that in terms of profile of investments to date. Um, I think what it shows, though, is a distribution of intent across a number of different sectors that are really important for us. And we Within EY, as we look at the results of the survey, you know, are really kind of grouping, you know, technology led and knowledge intensive uh, investments together because we recognize that the world 10 or 20 years hence is going to be very different from today. So, you know, whether it's in areas like personalized medicine, advanced computing techniques like quantum computing or AI. Um, our clean tech and renewables, we recognise that investors are going to be focused on those areas.
0: And perhaps not surprisingly, 59% of the investment of the projects coming in here are US-led.
2: Yeah, that's right. And that's a real contrast to the picture across all of Europe. So when we look across the 44 countries I mentioned earlier, that number is 20%. So most of European investment is actually from companies headquartered in other European countries the story is different for Ireland. The picture in 2022 was a continuation of what we've seen because we run this survey annually. What we've seen in previous years has carried through into 2022. And that's clearly indicative of both the strong existing ties in terms of US headquartered companies who are here already, but also I think the credibility that their success provides to prospective new US corporates as well.
0: Michael Owen, uh, welcome to Inside Business. You're the newly appointed IDA Chief Executive. Uh, Two months in the job now, is it?
1: Yeah, just over two months, 17th of April, I took up the position. So, yeah, it's been a busy few weeks. I'm uh, sure it has, yeah, I'm
0: sure it has, and we'll talk about that. But in the um, review of last year that was uh, published by the IDA in December 2022, um, it was said that there was a positive pipeline for H1 2023, but that the outlook was more uncertain for the second half of this year Um, and that outlook was uh, signed off by your your predecessor Mary Buckley who was the interim CEO at the time so maybe you could just give us a sense of, of what the picture's like now we're six months on essentially so what's the outlook like now for the second half of the year?
1: Yeah, happy to do that. So I think the outlook is actually is it's exactly as as Mary had outlined and as we, as an organisation, had set out, I suppose, in December of last year and into the first months of this year as well. So actually, next week on on the on the fifth of July, we'll we'll be. Uh, issuing our mid-year results for for 2023. And while I can't share those numbers with you today, what I can say is that we're actually seeing a very strong and robust pipeline and we've seen that being delivered uh, for the first half of the year. Um, Now, those numbers will be very strong. There there will be, I suppose, if you think about it, we've had a decade now of year-on-year growth. Each year has been a record year based on the last um, and this year, I think for the first half of the year is that undoubtedly we won't be at those sort of quantum of numbers in terms of projects, R&D jobs. Um, but what we will see is that we'll see that we'll be we'll be very competitive in terms of the overall investments that, that have we secured for the first half of this year. And maybe just to put some of that in context as well, um, your, your listeners will be familiar with her and hopefully would have over the last number of months seen a number of significant announcements happening across the sectors in Ireland, whether that's in life sciences or technology or indeed in financial services or high value engineering. And that continues, I suppose, those, those announcements, public announcements, reflect the engagements that we're having and that the team are having across the globe. Um it still remains very active. Ireland is, is an attractive location. I think the EY report sort of highlights that. Um, also last week, you, you may have picked up as well as that Ireland was ranked second in the globe in terms of its international com, uh, competitiveness. So there's key elements there in terms of the value proposition for in Ireland remains strong for FDI and we're continuing to see that come true and particularly in high value sectors that, that we speak about and that we're competing in. Again, which are, as, as outlined by Fergal, you know, technology, uh, life sciences, financial services continue to be at the front end of what what we're attracting in Ireland.
0: Yeah, so in terms of the first half of this year, will we be showing a net gain in terms of jobs
1: yeah well we actually don't do net gain at, at, in the mid year we, mm. we do that at the end of the year um but on our current projections i think that you know as we continue on this trajectory um we will be confident we'll have a net positive position at year end which i think given the, the turmoil that you know we have faced in international markets um, given the if you want to call it the, the right sizing or correction within technology that we've that you know has has happened and probably continues to you know there's there is still a continuation of that as we look at at, at global markets um But ultimately, I think it's very hard to predict at this stage. But I do think if we see the continuation of the traction that we've had for the first half of the year, for the second half, we will be in a very strong position come year end. What's the biggest challenge that Ireland faces at the moment in terms of attracting new FDI? Um, So in terms of attracting FDI, it's it's interesting because... um, I think we're still and the numbers actually show this and our engagement showed it as well, is that Ireland's proposition remains strong. Now, we have bottlenecks and we have capacity challenges, as we know, are well documented, you know, in terms of housing and broader infrastructure. But when you set them against the context and the global, I suppose, perspective, there are similar challenges you see in all developed economies, you know, in terms of, you know, capacity, in terms of infrastructure. But from, from Ireland's perspective, our challenge here is, you know, we have to make sure we continue a strong t- pipeline of talent because the. The opportunity for companies to grow is based on talent, is, is based on access and it's based on, on research and innovation. And I think that's for Ireland has to continue to to evolve and, and I suppose to be very strong in terms of our commitments, in terms of talent generation and then ensuring that we have the infrastructure and the national carrying capacity in the state to meet that growing demand. So how big a drag is the housing situation at the minute? So housing is, is a challenge it's, and I think it is, it's, It's a concern in terms of, uh, on two fronts, I think. First of all, in terms of organic growth for companies, um, you know, how they actually can plan for that and to make sure in terms of retention, uh, I think that's acknowledged and accepted. And secondly, if you're looking actually to attract, I suppose, inward talent into the country, making sure you have a solution, a housing solution for for those incoming talent and indeed their families, let's be honest, is so important. So that is, you know, it is a constraint. But we have to also recognise, I think, that, you know, there is a clear commitment at government in terms of this is the number one priority. We're starting to see traction, and I think we need to recognise that. But I would say what we need to do is we need to accelerate our response. We need to make sure that that all of the initiatives that have been brought in, and there have been many initiatives brought in to stimulate and support, I suppose, housing. We have to make sure that they are streamlined and are brought on in in a more expeditious manner. And I think that's our focus within the idea is ensuring that we can we can bring that to bear in terms of a government because our clients are telling us simply is this is that. They see growth opportunity in Ireland. They, they understand the, the stability and the value proposition that Ireland, you know, provides. But we need to solve the carrying capacity and housing is one of those major issues. So have we lost
0: investments as a result of the housing situation here, both in terms of you know new companies coming into the market, but also companies established here expanding their operation?
1: Yeah, so I would say it certainly has, has dampened growth um, in terms of existing companies in the first instance. Um, I can't sit here and tell you that we've lost an investment in the back of housing. We haven't. I, I think people that are making investments, and if we put this in context, last year we had 242 investments in IDA. 102 of those were first-time new. Investments into Ireland. So those companies made those investments very clearly on the, on the basis of what the current situation is on the ground, but also, I suppose, confident that you know we have a, a, a policy and structural response in Ireland to resolve, the, I suppose, our current capacity and, and, and challenge area in, in housing, for example. So while I would say it's 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 a factor that people have to consider, but having a plan from a government perspective and fully committed is critically important because I think what enterprise and businesses really value is certainty that there is a response to a challenge and I think what Ireland has always shown is its agility and ability to respond to, to needs such as such as housing or indeed broader infrastructure elements.
0: You talked about uh, talent and the need to, you know, continue to yeah. generate new talent. I suppose that's a nod towards um, our university sector. I know the EY guys are uh, calling it out in this report that uh, we need to continue to invest in universities to nurture the next generation of Irish talent. I mean, the Irish economy has been hugely successful over the last decade. We now have unemployment at below 4%. That's a record kind of level. It's great. It speaks to the success of the Irish economy, but it must also provide challenges for you in terms of attracting new investment here because the the supply of labour has dried up, presumably.
1: Yes, so so I think there's two two ways to look at this. So... um, Firstly, I think you know from an overall commitment for talent that has to be core to Irish, to an Irish st- strategy, and it is. And I think, in fairness, consecutive governments, you know, have have committed to talent and to education in its in its core form, and I think that's important. The second thing to remember is is, is as well as that, with technological advancements that's happening across our enterprise base, that's actually freeing up resource as well. So I think. But there's two elements to focus on here. One is actually bringing new talent in, whether through our own education system or from overseas. And secondly, is upskilling and reskilling of existing employees so they're ready for the changeover in terms of new technology. And I think when Fergal talked about some of the new areas of software and innovation and technology in terms of the growth areas, what that's actually happening there is we have to make sure that we have a talent and I suppose a workforce that not alone can adopt and change to, to today's need, but more importantly are ready for the future. Because as we look at, at the new areas that's coming in, where they're in a manufacturing environment, the manufacturing skill set today is going to be very different in five years' time. It's going to be digitally enabled. It's going to be based on AI. And the same happens for services. You're going to see a, a transition in terms of, of I suppose, the activities that people do and the skill base that's necessary to deliver those jobs in the future as well.
0: Yeah. Just looking at the top five uh, economic risks, which were identified by people who responded to the EY survey, war in Ukraine, no surprise Mm. there. The level of uh, public debt and its impact on taxes, interesting. Tight labour market, we've just uh, spoken about that. Rising interest rates and tightening financial conditions and the lingering COVID-19 pandemic. I'm also wondering about energy supply, because we had an amber alert last yeah. week and we, we know that like at certain times we're on the edge in terms of the amount of supply we have uh, to deliver. And we've been reading about data centres gobbling up as, as much energy as all the urban households and all of the uh, rural households uh, as well. So it's, it's a real concern. Again, is that a concern that's being identified by companies who are looking to come in here and invest?
1: Yeah, so so I think we we you're, you're correct. We've had had I suppose some concerns over security of supply and energy, but I do think over the last twelve months and eighteen months we have moved a long way in terms of addressing that through through the work that Airgrid have done and and the CRU in terms of of having I suppose um, gas fired peaking stations in order to meet that demand. Because you're correct, because you know in last week when we had that alert, it's because the wind wasn't blowing for argument's sake. So like two weeks before that, I think we had 10% of our grid was actually being provided from solar. So like what we need to do is we need to make sure we have a grid and a supply, I suppose, an electrical supply base that's that's actually across multiple technologies. So whether that's wind, whether it's solar, whether it's gas, we need that mix. And I think what we're starting to do is is build that out from an Irish perspective. And we know where the potential is. The potential is in offshore wind. And that's what we have to, I suppose, unleash in terms of not just for the Irish economy and its growth, but for the European-wide economy as well. We have a real opportunity here to build a whole new enterprise base in terms of offshore wind, in terms of bringing that energy onshore, and indeed in terms of converting that into new forms, if you want to call it, of energy and opportunity. So that's where it is. And I think when we need to do that, because if we look at it from you know from an investor's perspective if you're if you're outside of let's call it a mega user you probably have no concerns from an energy perspective in Ireland because there is a security of supply element there. If you're a mega user, we know there are constraints there in terms of the the, the processes in place with AirGrid. And that's something from an idea perspective that we are working with AirGrid and indeed the, the, the Department of Energy to ensure that, you know, we actually give a path to major, larger users, because it is important that, you know, we talk about in Europe and in Ireland, you know, a twin transition, that transition is digital mm. and green. And one doesn't exist without the other. So we actually need to have a green grid and we need to be able to incentivise and indeed support the digital transition, which involves data centres.
0: And we've been a bit slow out of the blocks in terms of offshore wind Scotland and Norway seem to have gotten a jump on us and it's still years away.
1: Yeah, I think anyone would have to say, yes, we have been slow out of the blocks. Um, but I think we're, we're gathering momentum. Um, and I think, again, having a clear focus, you know, in terms of being able to on. Un- un- untap that potential. I think also, um, you know, to, to, to maybe just speak as well, to, you know, within our own parent department in the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment, Minister Cobney is now leading on an industrial strategy for offshore wind. So I think we're going to start to see a lot more focus in terms of how we can capitalise on this from, a, a, as I said, from an Irish economy perspective, but also from a broader European perspective as well.
0: Are you still chasing investments
1: from data centres? Yeah, well to be honest, Ireland, we never really chase investment from data centers. we chase investment in technology, and you know as part of that what what we do is data centers are an element of of the technology investment um so but let's be let's be honest at the moment you know if you're a data center provider, you are challenged in Ireland because getting the connection to the grid is is, you know, it's not achievable at this point. That, there's a de dif- facto moratorium, def- there, isn't, isn't there, well, for greater Dublin? There is. There virtually is because you know, if you're trying to meet the criteria that's set out at the moment, you know, it's 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 an impossible task to know how you can actually achieve that. So, by default, there is a moratorium, and based on it. But that's not a, that's not, a, 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 I suppose, a scenario in which Ireland can remain within. And I think that's why you know we're working with with Airgrade and with 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 the Department to bring a solution to that. Because what we need is we need data centre investment, we need to make sure if we're going to make that transition both digitally and as it is from a green perspective, we need to have our, our grid capacity built out, you know, our renewable sources brought online, um, because this isn't a demand issue, it's a supply issue. Right. And we need to solve the supply issue. And that's what we need to focus on. And I think through the strategies and as, as, as well through, through the Department of, of, of Climate, and through the Department of Enterprise, we're starting to see that response come together on the supply side. Now we lost
0: out on an investment uh, from Apple in Athens Rye five or six years ago—a well-publicised uh, case mm. where there were planning objections. And anyway, it's gone now. Yeah, uh, it's off off the blocks. How damaging was that for Ireland?
1: Yeah, so I, I think that that was first of all to say that was a regrettable, you know, I, I suppose uh, outcome at that point in time. Um, and and I suppose what, what it what it does is you know when you have scenarios like that is. In some ways, it, it puts a dent in in your reputation from a planning perspective, um, and that's not helpful. Because remember, at the end of the day, for FDI, it's a global. We're competing globally for these investments. And while I understand the right for you know for observations to be made for planning for planning applications, I think no one is disputing that. The, I suppose the the area where we were focused on is the certainty of timelines. That you know it took the, the period of time between the actual. The process of the objections being raised or the observations being raised to a final decision was over multiples of years. And I think that's where the whole new planning legislation, the Planning Acts, are certainly going to put clear timeframes around that. Because I think for any investor, even if it was for ourselves at an individual level, if you don't know what the end time is going to be in a project, it's very hard for you to stay committed to it. And I think that's why we would welcome the new planning legislation that's coming forward and that it brings clarity to those timeframes, because I think that's what's important. And thereafter, companies and investors can plan and can respond accordingly.
0: And what about the tech sector as a whole? Because towards the end of last year, and I guess the first quarter of this year, we saw lots of announcements from the big tech companies here, mm. thousands of jobs uh, lost. In some cases, people you know shabbily treated uh, when they were being made redundant. Um, that seems to sort of have slowed now. And the tech stocks uh, have recovered in terms of their stock market valuations and so forth. So where is the tech sector at in terms of its growth potential for Ireland?
1: Yeah. So so I think there's, there, there's there's two things. Yeah, first of all I suppose technology, you know, when any sector goes through a correction like tech did, it's 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 difficult. And in, in fact, I went through that personally before I joined IDA in, in the late in, in early 2000, 2000 with Norton Networks, yeah. Um so I understand, let's call it, the the challenge that that is and the, the emotional drain it has on individuals and families, so to say that. But but where is the tech sector? So I think what we have is we've had a correction based on it obviously on consumer demand and the softening of consumer demand. But broader tech, if you Look at enterprise tech. Like enterprise tech is stronger and it's probably get is, is very strong and it's probably growing and getting stronger. If you look at the announcement from analog devices most recently, you know, um, you know, in terms of six hundred jobs, six hundred million investment in Limerick. And I think there was a recent Gardner report that talked about the next wave in tech is enterprise tech, is it's industrial based tech. And that's where we speak to, I suppose, if you look at the Irish ecosystem as well. You look at the high growth areas we have in, in manufacturing and life sciences and so forth, they're actually all being tech enabled and digitalized. That's going to drive both life sciences growth but also technology growth. So I think in that enterprise tech area, we're going to see considerable and ongoing growth over over the coming years as well. Yeah.
0: Have the job losses already over now, do you think?
1: Are we going uh, to see more? I I think I think we've we've come to a point of, of almost balance and, and pause. Um I would say that, you know, is there a possibility of more? There probably is. Um, but I think that will be based very much on how consumer demand responds. And you're correct. I think we have seen a stabilisation, you know, within stock markets and in particularly within the demand side. If we can get across another quarter of that, you know, with no no other, I suppose, who's to predict what's going to happen next within the global economy? But if we can get through another quarter, you know, in terms of having balance and stability, I think we could be across the, across the, the choppier waters. And in terms of what might come, are we talking about thousands of job losses potentially? Uh, well, again, I can't quantify that at this point in time, but I do think we've probably have seen the highest percentage of them have flushed through at this at this juncture. What about pharma? Pharma had a good COVID,
0: uh, if you like, in terms yeah. of manufacturing and so forth. Very strong for Ireland mm. over the last uh, five or six years. So wh- where is that at? Because, you know, in terms of COVID vaccines, the demand has diminished um, somewhat so where 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 are we at in terms of the
1: pharma sector? So I think it's interesting. You're correct. Like pharma had an incredibly strong period over COVID, you know, but it wasn't all COVID-driven, as in COVID vaccine-driven. You know, it was driven across a lot of different, um, I suppose, treatment types. And there's a few things maybe to note over the pharma sector or the life sciences sector in a broad sense over over that period. Number one is I suppose um, a renewed f- focus on the importance of health, human health. And you know, nations and 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 I suppose states being ready for that. So I think they saw a bounce in terms of demand for their products. You know, indeed, maybe even the, the the populations actually looking for you know, I suppose health screening and so forth. So that actually drove business as well as being, if you want to call it, the 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 vaccine bounce that came from it. Secondly, is I think the amount of research that was invested in the the mRNA platform over over that period of COVID. Has set that that platform on a whole new trajectory, and when you look at where the, the growth is in pharma, like, you know, it's in biologics, and you know, Ireland is very strong in biologics. The traditional small molecules or tabling actually has made a comeback. I think the pipeline on small molecules is probably stronger now than, than it was a decade ago in terms of of new products and new treatments. And then thirdly, you add the new area of what's called advanced therapeutics. And within that, you have a couple of things, which is cell and gene therapy. uh, And we've seen a real growth in that area. And that's based on a lot of the research actually that was done through COVID on the mRNA platform, because the mRNA platform is the basis on which a lot of these advanced therapeutics will be delivered in the future. So we've seen almost, if you want to call it a decade's worth of research happening in two or three years, and as a result of that, we're seeing very strong pipelines across the the life sciences industry. And we're seeing that come true. And Ireland is a net benefactor of that because we're not alone we're we seeing existing client companies um, expand their mandate here, but we're also seeing new entrants coming in here. And an example of Mira GTX, one of those selling gene companies have chosen Ireland as their location for commercialisation. So we're going to see a continued growth in that area as well. So it's a sector that has performed, continues to perform, and I think has a very strong pipeline, you know, across a multitude of modalities that's happening as well.
2: At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com.
0: Fergus, let's talk about artificial intelligence because everybody's talking about it at the moment, so we might as well. Um, what are the companies who were surveyed saying about the use of uh, AI and their investments in AI for the future?
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the notable things of the survey was actually the fact that AI was not at the top of the list in terms of you know burgeoning technologies that companies are expecting to use. And maybe that's just a factor of the fact that it's such a fast-paced environment at the moment. I think it's clear, though, that AI in and of itself is interesting, but it's really how it enables other activities, as Michael was saying. You know, it's going to free up capacity to do more, you know. So I think there are some really interesting initiatives going on at the moment as it relates to deployment of AI in the manufacturing space, for example. So, you know, there are certain types of environment that are well suited to AI use cases, you know, where you've got large volumes, you've got access to very rich sets of data. And by deploying AI, you can supplement the human operators with technology to make them more effective. So I think because we have such a high presence already in, for example, medical device and pharma manufacturing, we're very well positioned to create kind of corporate centers of excellence for developing AI use cases. And I think investors who are already here are exploring those opportunities and i think what we're seeing as well is a bit of an ecosystem developing you know so it's not just corporates but it's academia it's state organizations as well coming together to explore you know what are the use cases how can companies take advantage of these new opportunities and kind of flourish in the future because ultimately You know, in my own experience, I think a lot of investors here and a lot of corporates here are continuously looking to what's next, you know, how do they maintain relevance in the corporate infrastructure and hierarchy? How do they compete for the next wave of investment? And I think the track record of Irish FDI shows that ability to reimagine and renew. A lot of companies have been here for many years, but over that time, they haven't stood still. And I think AI, is a great lever for companies now to become even more relevant and to explore new opportunities. And there's a cultural affinity, I would say, in Ireland to taking advantage of those opportunities.
0: It kind of lends itself to accounting and consulting as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. So EY, let's take the case of EY. What are you guys doing in terms of AI? How are you putting it to use?
2: Yeah, so I think there are lots of use cases internally uh, within our own business. I'm an auditor by, by profession, so... We have digitalized our audit delivery platform. We use massive volumes of data. I mean, a very simple use case might be, given the following fact pattern, what did 100 auditors do in those similar circumstances? What would the best test be? Of course, you can't remove the personal, professional judgment of the auditor, but you can certainly point them in a way you know, that, that historically or previously might have required them to open up a big book and leaf through and figure out what's the best approach here. So I think for any organization like ourselves with access to, you know, I use the term rich sets of data, AI presents really interesting opportunities, not just for the clients we serve, but also for how we run our own business.
0: Michael Farrell mentioned how it has the potential to free up capacity for people to do more, but I suppose the concern is that it has the potential to do away with existing capacity. Um, So what's your view on it? What's the IDA uh, view on it and how do you... I mean, presumably a lot of the FDI companies that are here are going to be deploying AI in one form or another. So what's the potential impact on employment?
1: Yeah. So, so maybe just to, first of all, just to say, it, I think AI is, you know, as high in, on, on companies agenda. And, um, you know, in the last number of weeks alone, there's probably two or three teams that you always come across in the conversation with a client company. No matter what sector they're in, whether they're in financial services or, you know, life sciences or indeed technology. And AI is one of those topics, and the other being sustainability, to be honest, and, and talent. They are the three most, I suppose, discussed topics across all sectors. But getting back to your question on AI, um, so from, from, I think from an IDA perspective and indeed from a client perspective, we've been involved, and in, I suppose, on, on developing and understanding the power of AI for a number of years. We have a number of companies who are building capability. Um, trying to understand what it means for their business. Because as Fergal said, you know, you, tra- tra- you have to have right data sets. You have to understand what it means. You have to be able to interpret it. Um, and I think from an Ireland perspective, we're fortunate in that, you know, we actually have a pretty decent foundation in Ireland in terms of the ecosystem to support that transition uh, for, for technology and AI. For example, if I speak to the, to the Insight Centre, which is probably the largest uh, research centre in Europe, you know, on machine learning and AI. And that's here in Ireland. So I think from a point of view of being of preparedness and being, being, you know, looking to what the future looks like, I think we have really good foundational work done. Um, the question, of course, is, is 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 as follows: the pace at which AI is moving, you know, in some ways is is almost scary. Um, depending on how you're going to apply it to different sectors, what's the regulatory response going to be, and how can that regulatory response actually match the pace? Um, I think these are all fundamental questions that have to be answered. But but ultimately, I do think that AI ha- will have a role to play in terms of that, if you want to call it that, transformation of enterprise in the future. And like all other technological changes that, come, that have come along in the past and will come along again in the future, I do think, you know, there will be not a, a replacement of humans. I think there'll be a change in terms of the activities out that, 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 you know, that, that your employees will be doing to, to the betterment of both from an efficiency perspective and probably from a career perspective as well in terms of of career progression and indeed. But it gives and and that's where I think the focus on reskilling and upskilling is so important in terms of a workforce, understanding technology. And remember, mm. we all like to focus on technology as being, you know, about the technology solution. It's actually not. It's about culture and it's about people and it has to be human centric. And I think that's where Ireland has to make sure we keep our focus on, making sure we have the skill set necessary to sure,
0: do that. Sure, yeah. But there must be an employment concern there because, I mean, a lot of manufacturing jobs presumably are going to go. It'll, AI will uh, allow companies to become more efficient in that process. And if you take a chat GPT, and I know it's yeah. a bit of a, a rough edge diamond at the moment. Yeah. But you have to imagine, again, that the Googles and the Metas and the uh, Microsofts and so on, the opportunity for them um, to replace humans with machines uh, doing the same work must be enormous.
1: Yeah, well, of course, there is opportunity um, there's an opportunity for that efficiency. But that means also, you know, we got back to the to the previous part of the conversation where we talked about, you know, being able to attract and retain talent is a key initiative. So being able to give your existing, you know, workforce a new and if you want to call it a new career, that actually what technology allows as well. It frees up, you know, activity that you're doing today. So actually people can focus on higher value and different type of activity. So I think most employers actually their number one priority is how do we retain the staff that we have? And if you can do that and augment in technology, it means then that you're giving them a better career path and better options, I think, within their own careers as well. So I think it is a double edged sword, but I do personally believe that there's more opportunity in embracing it and I suppose understanding that where it can bring value to your business and therefore unleashing the potential of your employees to go to the next stage.
0: But retaining talent hasn't quite been the narrative in the tech sector over the last nine months, has it? I mean, they've let a lot of people go.
1: Uh, Well, to be honest, I I would say that, you know, retaining talent is, is a key focus of all sectors. Um, and, you know, yes, there has been, I suppose, reductions in the tech sector, but that's based on, I suppose, you also have to right size for your business. And I think we have to, you know, acknowledge that as well. But, you know, I think number one priority for any company, any company that I've engaged in is, first of all, attracting the talent and when you have them, retaining them. So important because the future of any business is about its people and about its growth. And growth won't happen on technology, it happens through people and through skill sets. And I think that's the basis of of how, how enterprise has developed. I think that'll be the basis of enterprise for the future as well.
0: Uh, our corporation tax rate is going to change uh, next year as part of a global process. It's going to become fifteen percent from twelve and a half percent. A tough one for us, I suppose, to get our heads around for a long time because we we were we nailed our colours to the mass in terms of twelve and a half percent. But we've we're on board with this now. It's going to change to fifteen percent for companies with turnover above. Seven hundred and fifty million euro. What do you think that's going to do for the dynamic of
1: FDI uh, globally? Yeah, so so I think uh, first of all on, on the rate itself, um, I think what was important is from an Ireland perspective that we got clarity around that that the rate was you know fifteen percent was 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 an absolute um, you know uh, minimum. So we we wanted to be clear on that. So so again that was to make sure that we brought the key to our. our our tax policy has also has always been based on uncertainty and clarity and i think that's what that brought to us so in terms of the of the increased rate um what difference is it having to enter uh, to our investors to be honest in short i think investors are comfortable around the 15% um they understand it they understand the rationale it's obviously across the OECD and it's a global it's a global rate so that's well understood uh, and so forth and that's as we know under what's called pillar 2 within window OECD I think where there's far more uncertainty, let's be honest, is under Pillar 1. And, you know, at what level or when will Pillar 1 be able to come into a position of, of being implemented? This is the allocation this, of profits This is the allocation of profits, correct, yeah, excuse me, the allocation of profits. And actually, it's recently as recently as today, I was just listening to a small podcast and, you know, from, from um, a view in the, in the US, and the view that was being presented is that we're probably looking at maybe beyond a decade before there come clarity over, the pillar one scenario. So what we're probably going to be looking at is we'll have certainty over the rate, um, but we won't have certainty or indeed clarity over where where that's going to apply at at what percentage and under under pillar one. So I think we're going to continue to see, if you want to call it ongoing discussions around global taxation for the next number of years
0: and our corporate tax receipts have been going gangbusters for the last uh, few years and um, just last week we were reporting that this year we're going to have another 2 billion mm. on top of what was forecast by the department of finance so it's going to it looks like it's going to exceed 26 billion for the year which is just extraordinary and the department of finance has kind of earmarked about 12 billion as being windfall if yeah. you like so we can't necessarily rely on it into the future and we know, of course, there's a concentration of corporation tax receipts among a small group of very big companies, multinationals, the earth lines, I presume, um, and the top three in particular. And there's a real fear that if, if one or more of those companies were to decide that, you know, they're going to leave Ireland, they're going to move on to somewhere else, um, you know, we lose a, a vast swathe of revenues and a big chunk of our, our, our income disappears, won't be overnight, but it'll disappear mm-hmm. in short order. Um, is that a concern of yours? Uh, should we should we be concerned about that? Is there any danger that one of those top ten companies might just decide to exit Ireland altogether?
1: Um, so so in short, it's, it's not. To be honest, I, I don't see like the environment in Ireland is such that you know companies, successful companies, understand the benefit of being here. In fact, not alone that. Remember. Most of the companies within the the FDI portfolio, you know, have been in Ireland for many decades. We have companies that are here for over 70 years, you know, large multinationals with massive presence in Ireland across regional locations. So there's a longevity to multinationals. Um, So I don't actually see a risk in terms of, let's say, someone is going to up sticks and go. I really don't, because I do think I do think what Ireland has offers and how Ireland has embedded itself and put itself at the core of strategies for, for, for large multinationals and the skill base that's here means that, you know, there's 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 always going to be value in terms of being in Ireland, in terms of, of the innovation. Secondly, I think also to be conscious of is that over the last two decades in particular, I think maybe probably over the last decade, the depth of research and innovation that's happening in this country is transformational. Um, you know, I'm fortunate that I've almost two decades in IDA and I've witnessed firsthand that transition, if you want to call it, and transformation of companies from what would have been, to be honest, t- to your earlier point, high risk where you could obviously, you know, fold up your tent if you want to and move on with very little impact. Now what you actually have is you have enterprises that are deeply embedded in terms of research and innovation, deeply embedded in terms of the skills that they provide within the organisations and are really part of global value chains, critical parts in terms of those supply chains. So like in in the context of uh, making real contributions not just to the Irish society which we see but obviously making contributions to global supply chains and global mm. delivery of products and services. So I don't see that risk um, uh, if I'm honest. Uh, what we do need to make sure is, and the, and the reason I'd say that is we need to make sure that we stay consistent in our policies in Ireland, which I believe we will and we need to continue to bring value because as I said earlier, you know FDI is a competitive market and you have to continue to stay at the front end of being competitive to retain and grow jobs
0: Yeah, mind you, you know, you mentioned Nortel
1: yeah, Um,
0: and I I can remember uh, Dell laying off thousands of people uh, you know, they would have been involved in the manufacturing of uh, computers Uh, back in the day. I know Dell is Mm. still a big employer here, but nonetheless, we have lost investments in the past, haven't we?
1: We have, and and it's interesting you should say that as well because when we look at those losses in the past and, you know, we can look at, you know, the losses that was Northel and Galway and you can look at the losses that was in Limerick and, you know, but those cities and those regions are completely different now. The diversity of what we have as well is very different than it was in the late 80s and early 90s. So I think having I suppose we're very lucky that, you know, at this point we have a strong life sciences sector. We have a strong technology sector. We have an exceptionally strong financial services sector. You know, so we have built in that diversity. So I think, and there will always be, let's be honest, there will always be shocks as we go through. That's just, the, the I suppose, the, the reality of international business as well. But I think having that robust, I suppose, diverse portfolio, you know, of of sectors that underpin real modern economies like we have in, in here in Ireland, you know, gives me comfort as well. You know, and I think probably gives all of us comfort from an Ireland perspective is that, you know, we have that resilience and robustness to sort of to meet some of the challenges in the future as well. Sure.
0: Fergal, we mentioned labour shortages earlier. I see from the survey that um, some of the companies are, are saying that there needs to be a transparency around uh, the process for a visa and work permits to, bring people in from abroad and outside the EU, I guess. And that's going to be hugely important, isn't it, given that we're at full employment?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, we talked earlier about the unemployment rate being below 4%. Mm. So, you know, it's also important to say there are more people in employment than ever before as well. So, you know, the the labour force has expanded. So, you know, more people are participating in the labour force. Mm. Obviously, we're, I think, attractive to EU citizens in terms of, Ireland being an attractive place to make a career and develop their um, professional lives. We,
0: we hear about how expensive Ireland is and we're the second most expensive place in Europe and so forth. So why would somebody from another part of the EU want to come and live here, given the housing charges, the price of rents and, you know, just day to day expenses?
2: Yeah, I think there's a few responses to that. One is the fact that we're an English speaking country. And I think that's of benefit to a lot of people trying to build out their own skill sets. I think as well, the expanse or extension of investment into regional locations and the fact that the modern ways of working do allow for more flexibility about where people live, for example. Um, And I think we're seeing that uh, companies are looking more broadly outside of their immediate geographic region to source talent and so on. Um, So I think they're all kind of important points. I think as it relates to non-EU people, um, it was encouraging to see that the Department of Enterprise is looking at the critical skills program and entering into a consultation phase about determining if those critical skills are still relevant or if we need to expand the list. Um, And I think that continues to be important for big employers and many of the companies and sectors we've spoken about, like technology, for example, are actively using that program and bringing in Uh, Employees. So, again, I think it needs to be a multifaceted response to the tightness in the market. But as Michael rightly said, this isn't a feature that's unique to Ireland. Um, A lot of our competitors are also facing similar labour market constraints. So, we just need to continue to work. I think highlighting the attractiveness of Ireland, not just as a location for investment, but as a location for people to come and make their lives and work. And, you know, in my own experience, Ireland has many benefits that may be slightly less tangible, you know, but that are really meaningful nonetheless. So, just you know, the quality of life, the safety and security situation, the quality of education for, you know, children and so on. These are all things that we may at times take for granted, but are really highly valued by overseas workers as they come into the country.
0: Michael, a couple of questions for you to close out. One,
1: in terms of Brexit, is Brexit still an issue or are we past all that? From an FDI perspective, I think it's business as usual at this point. Yeah, so okay. Yeah. And
0: if you had a wish list and you were able to present it to the Minister for Finance or your line Minister, and say these are the three things I need um, to get more jobs, more investment, and so
1: forth, what would they be? I, I think well, it's that's probably quite easy at this point. Um, it's it's housing, um, it's power, and it's infrastructure in terms of water and wastewater
0: in that order so housing is the most important of them
1: yeah absolutely I think housing and uh, and then it's, it's the investment in, in, in our energy side and this about untapping the potential that is you know offshore wind Um that's critically important as well so I think they are without a shadow without the two two significant um, elements uh, in terms of, of, of focus
0: and just one final question then because Sinn Féin are riding high in the polls at the moment they're On course to be the largest party in the next doll if if the current trend continues the next election isn't for um, over 18 months or so, most likely. Is there any concern being expressed by foreign investors uh, about Sinn Féin being in government? Because some other tax policies wouldn't necessarily chime with uh, um, the foreign direct investment community, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think what what investors are looking at, you know, is in the terms of, you know, what is the, the, the trajectory you know, of Ireland in terms of its policy? And I think in fairness, you know, while I can't comment or, or, you know, on you know, the popularity or not of, of any party, I do think what we have and what we're fortunate in Ireland to have is we have, you know, a, a, a consensus view As to the importance of economic development. We have a consensus view as to the role that FDI plays in that, no matter what uh, element or political party you're with. And I think that's not lost on our investors internationally. So, like, having that centralist view and consensus view is very important. I think that will continue. Um, And I think, in fairness, you know, as well to all of the parties involved, you can see that agreement is in place. Like there's an understanding how, how competitive the market is and how critically important it is that from an Ireland perspective, we are very clear as to what policy direction we're on and that we maintain on those policy directions. So to be honest, I don't see that changing. Um, I actually believe that, you know, what what happens and what we're seeing, you know, in the engagement in the marketplace is, is a confirmation of that continuation as well. Do you get a lot of questions about it? Uh, not particularly. No, I have to say um, it's not. It's not something that has been raised very often with myself. No, because
0: I know Sinn Féin are on board in terms of the fifteen yeah. percent uh, corporate tax rate, but. They also want to tax people who are earning more than hundred grand, a lot more than they're being taxed at the moment, to generate tax to be dispersed in other parts of the economy.
1: Yeah, and and you know that that's the, that's their position, I suppose. Like like any party that goes into into government, or they're, they're obviously start off with one with positions, and and that has to be negotiated through 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 um I suppose a, a government decision. Um, but is that unusual? It's probably not. I think um, what we need to make sure is that, you know, we have that consistency and balance. And let's be honest, as, as, as a state, we need to be, we need also to have a broader tax base. I think we all accept that. The question is what form that takes and ensuring, and again, it, and I think it's not lost in all parties, as I said, is that, you know, making sure we're competitive in, in both corporation tax and personal taxation is critically important because, you know, the... The the battle, you know, on 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 the on, if you want to call it on the playing fields for FDI is about talent and it's about leadership. And that's why it's important we remain competitive in those areas.
0: Michael Lone and Fergal DeFrena, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside
0: Business. My thanks to Michael Lone and Fergal DeFrena for joining me on the show. John Casey produced this episode with J.J. Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Ciarán Hancock. Until next time, take care.